I've known this guy since he was a, a toddler. I don't know if he was in diapers then. Maybe he never wore any. I don't know. But it's Rick Newbent. He's a pastor at the Grand Ball and Life Fellowship. And he'll be ministering to us this morning. So Rick, can I quick have a prayer with you? And then we go. Jesus, I thank you for Rick. And I pray that you would just, that the words he speaks would be on your anointing. And Father, that they would change lives. And that people would be encouraged. And when we leave here, we would not be the same as the way we came. In your name we pray and ask it. Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah, I can hear it. It's good. Well, thank you guys for having me. The land's at, uh, the land's at our church this morning, but uh, he said, it, I'll fit right in. The short hair, the big beard, we should, we should be good to go. He says, as long as you got that, they won't even notice that I was, he was missing. So I said, I don't think that's how it works. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get going here pretty quickly here. I realize I have my phone. It's not because I need to make calls. I realize that there's uh, no clock, uh, and I'm a long-winded speaker. So uh, this is so I know how much I have to apologize when I'm done. Uh, it's not going to slow me down at all. It's just going to let me know how big the apology has to be. Uh, but uh, if you weren't sure you were going to stay for soup and bun, um, you're probably going to want to because anything you have in the oven is going to be burnt. So uh, come on, stay. Enjoy the, enjoy the fellowship afterwards. Uh, but before we get going, I know we just prayed... Uh, I cannot preach, I cannot focus, I cannot do this uh, without, I always find that I need to pray as well just to calm my heart. Uh, the Bible says it's an incredibly big responsibility uh, to teach and to preach and if you don't take, if you take that too lightly, um, there's, the Bible actually says there's consequences for that. And so let's, let's bow our heads once again. God, you are incredible. And God, I am so privileged to be able to be here this morning to share what you've laid on my heart. But God, I also know that I run down some long rabbit trails. God, I know that I get distracted. And I know that I preach really fast. And so God, this morning, we need a couple things. We need for only your words to be heard. Um, God, we need for people to hear those words. And so even if I speak fast, that it would still sink in. Uh, God, and that you would work this morning uh, through me or despite of me. But God, we need you to work this morning. And so we love you and we love what you're going to do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I've had a couple comments already from people who saw the title, uh, Don't Cut Your Hair Before Going to War, and yet here I am with my short hair. Uh, but don't worry, you'll, you'll get the point pretty quickly. So I was, one of the things that I have been uh, thinking about a lot in life is how much that we go through in life uh, that we think we are going through on our own or things that we fail at in life and we forget to realize that we are in a spiritual battle. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what God's plan is for your life and how you can fully experience that plan. But the reality is that you are only ever going to experience what God wants for you when you realize that you are at war. When you realize that this is not your battle solely to fight, but that, that there is a bigger battle going on. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, oh, I'll let you know right away. There, they might be flipping through my slides back and forth because I didn't give them notes. Uh, so it's not their fault, it's mine. Those sound video guys work there really hard to do a good job. This is not in the notes. So it's a bonus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, for, I'm not going to read it directly, but it basically says, for our struggle is not against things of this world. Our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against, I think it says, rulers and authorities and powers of this world. We are at war in the spiritual realm. 
And so I, sometimes people think when they hear spiritual war, they think, oh, that's when the windows are shaking and there's writing on my mirror and I have horrible dreams at night and that is spiritual war. And that is a component of spiritual war. But the devil beats us the best at spiritual war when he, convince us, when he convinces us that we are not fighting a war. And so it's not, you know, if the devil were to come and to shake my house, I would be ready for it. Those are the easy battles to win. When, when, when my kid wakes up with night terrors and I think, whoa, that's the easy battle to win because that's the battle that I know that I'm in. But sometimes we forget that when our marriage is on the rocks, it might be because we are losing a spiritual battle. Sometimes we don't realize that, that, that when we're caught in an addiction, that we are losing a spiritual battle. Sometimes we don't realize that when we are stuck in this, in this weird state where we're, we're stressed, we're, we're anxious, we're, we're, we're going through this emotional crisis right now, that we are currently struggling in a spiritual battle. And if we do not realize that we're in a spiritual battle, we're going to always try and do it on our own. And we're always going to find ourselves getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Another one of the reasons that we don't realize that we, one of the problems that we have in spiritual warfare is that we don't realize that, the, that there's a consequence for the way that we live our lives. And that, and that we might do something over here, and the consequence is going to be over here, and we forget to tie those two things together. And so sometimes, for example, when we don't trust in God or we're not doing, you know, we've got a little sin over here, and then we wonder why our marriage is on the rocks over here, it might actually be that the consequence of this little thing that you do, did took away your peace, which made you more stressed, which made you, you know, lash out at your husband or your wife, and, and, that, and that we're in this war, and that everything is linked together. And so that's the first thing. Those are not even in my notes, so like I said, I'm long-winded. So let's get to the title of my message this morning. Don't cut your hair before going to war. What is this crazy guy talking about? Well, you know what? I was praying about this a while back, and I was praying about spiritual warfare. And everybody knows that when you're a pastor, you've got to have good illustrations. You know, a pastor who just... I had a guy tell me one time, he was very upset. He was actually yelling at me in my office. He was super mad. He said, he says, I'm tired of your preaching. He said, all you ever do is use 2,000-year-old stories to to make your point. And, and, because what he wanted was he wanted those nice, modern-day, relevant applications. And so I was in my office the other day praying for a new, modern-day, relevant application. And guess what God gave me? He said, oh, you want a good illustration? Samson. <laughs> Seriously. So your illustration today is not going to be modern. It's not going to be cool. I'm going to just steal, I'm going to steal Mr. Sawatsky's illustration a little bit later on because it was perfect for my message this morning. Thank you very much for that. I think that's a led by the Holy Spirit moment because you could see he was, he was battling that one out himself. But I woke up that morning and I was getting ready and, 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 and God told me, Samson. You see, Samson's a real life story of something that really happened. And yet it's got an incredible modern day application and it's got, it's got many parallels to some New Testament truths about spiritual warfare. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So I'm not going to read these, all of this stuff. You can read some of this at home. I'm going to tell you a story to start it off. And it's a story of the very first superhero. Anybody here, uh, Superman? You guys all know Superman, right? Spider-Man? You know, we all have favorite, super, favorite superheroes. And we always think these guys who came up with these superheroes were the first. But actually they weren't. 
the very first superhero. You know, God did some amazing things through some amazing people in the Bible. But Samson was born to be a superhero. He was, he was literally born to be a superhero. So here's what happened. God's people, wait, get back on track here. As I tell this story, I want you to think of something in your life right now. You are Samson. The, the modern application that we're going to get to is that you are Samson, and the Philistines are the things that are tearing you down, the bondage that you're living in, and the problems that you're going through. And I want you to just keep that in the back of your head as I tell this story. And the story starts like this. The Israelites failed to obey God. You see, God said to the Israelites, you are my chosen people. I am with you. I will always be with you. I will always love you. But I need you to follow me. And so over time, the Israelites, as they usually do, as I usually do, went through a season where they failed to follow God. And because they failed to follow God, the Bible said that God withdrew his protection. That God no longer protected them because they were no longer following him. They were still his people. He still loved them. But he would not protect them when they were in rebellion to him. And the Philistines came and they conquered. And they took over. And they, they basically ruled. And, and, and these, these, these two kind of warring states were beside each other. But the, the Israelites were afraid. And for 40 years they were afraid. And finally they said, God, please help us. And so in, in Judges chapter 13, God speaks to a man named Manoah. And he says, I'm going to give you, this is a paraphrase, you can read it on your own, but basically he says, I'm going to give you a hero. And that hero is going to be your son. And he's going to set, he's going to be pivotal in bringing freedom to, to, to my people. Because I want my people to be free. I want my people to have all that I have for them. Just like God wants all of us to have all that he has for us. He's got a plan for each and every one of you this morning. And he says, I'm going to give you a son and he's going to have power but he must not cut his hair. He must not cut his hair. And so what happens is, here is Samson, and he, he grows up, and he gets older, and, and, and sure enough, the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he has great power. And again, read this later on at home, but one day he's going along, and a lion comes, comes before him, and the Bible says he actually, with his bare hands, he tore the lion apart. I spent eight years doing mission work in Africa. I've seen some lions. These things are fierce. You know, you see them in a movie and you're like, oh, that's cute. Uh, you know what? When you hear a lion roar from a mile away, I'm talking when we're at sleep in a little tent, you hear a lion roar from a mile away, you shake. Okay, a lion is fierce. This, it says that Samson tore this thing apart. He was a superhero. None of us could do that, but he literally ripped it, ripped it apart so much that as the story goes, it was so wide open, it was the, so torn apart that the bees came in and made a hive inside the ripped open carcass. This thing must have been pretty gruesome. Anyways, to kind of make a longer story short, he, he marries a Philistine woman. He doesn't marry an Israelite woman. He marries a Philistine woman, and, uh, you know, through a couple situations, he picks a couple fights with the Philistines. We'll just wrap it up like that. He picks a couple fights with the Philistines, and he, and he really... He really takes him to town a couple times. And finally, the Philistines say, we need to stop this. We're going to do this. And they talk to the Israelites and say, this needs to stop. And, and the Israelites come to Samson, and, and Samson, they, they, they've just killed Samson's wife. He married that Philistine. They've just killed Samson's wife. Uh, Samson's attacked some of them and killed some of them. Now the Philistines, they want revenge. And so they come to Samson, the Israelites come to Samson and say, 
we're going to turn you over to the Philistines. And Samson says, you promise not to kill me yourself? And they're like, yep, we promise, we promise not to kill you yourself. He says, okay, go ahead, no problem. Tie me up. Why? Because Samson knows these ropes aren't going to do nothing. It's like Superman saying, oh, you want to turn me into my enemy? Sure, just tie me up. You got some rope? Tie me up. We all know what Superman does if you tie him up. He just rips that rope. Well, sure enough, the Bible says just like that. Samson, he's tied up. He goes there, and he's tied up, and they go there, and they turn him over, and he just, he just snaps those ropes, picks up the jawbone of a donkey, and kills a thousand people. Okay? Because why? Because he's a superhero. When he goes to war, he's not worried about who's going to win. Samson doesn't go to battle and say, I wonder who's going to win this one. He's like, hey, why don't you do this? Tie me up. Just tie me up and, and just turn me over. Why? Because he's chuckling inside. He goes, God made me a superhero. There ain't nothing they can do. You want it? Let's do this. Bring it on. Oh, guys. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. What are we going to do? You've got me this time, guys. Boom. A thousand people down with the jawbone of a donkey. Because that's who Samson was. But then again, Samson, once again, he gives in to temptation. And he once again follows after this beautiful Philistine woman. And, 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 and he still knows he's a superhero. Even though he's kind of compromising a little bit on what he should be doing, God still hasn't taken away his power. And so she says to him each and every night, she says, Hey, what's going to take away your power? And she said, the Bible says she kind of cries about it. He says, Oh, tie me up with ropes that have been wet. So she ties him up. He knows she's trying to trick him at this point. Like, he has to know she's trying to trick him. So... She ties him up and wakes him up and he's all tied up with these ropes and she's like, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. And he's like, ha, trick ya. Boom, he beats everybody up. Next time, she's, come on, you tricked me. And he's like, okay, well, here's what you're going to do this time. And this goes on and on and on and on for a while. And each time, he just breaks free and beats everybody up. He's having a good time because he's a superhero. He can do that. But then one day, he finally caves. After all this pressure, after all this temptation, you know, he knows he's, he's where he's not supposed to be, but she's so beautiful, and he just loves her so much, and, 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 and not, not, he doesn't love her enough not to trick her, but, but, but he's, he, he, loves, he loves her a bit, you know. But finally he caves to the temptation, and he tells her that if he cuts his hair, he will lose his power. And he goes to sleep, and she cuts his hair. And I think we know the story. She ties him up, and she wakes. She says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. And, and of course, Samson being like Superman, he wakes he's like, ha ha! Uh-oh. Uh and they capture him and they gouge his eyes out. And they make him, they put him on this mill where he's just, in a grinding mill, he just walks in circles. That's his life. And we're going to finish the end of the story at the end of the message, but, 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 but I looked at that and I said, wow, what an incredible parallel to what we see in the New Testament. What an incredible parallel to what we see in the New Testament, what God has for us today. Because here's some of the things that are the same. The battle has already been won. Like, well, we're going to use Superman a lot for the young people here. When Superman goes to a bank robbery and he shows up, is Superman wondering if he's going to win? No! The all, Superman has already won even before Superman goes to fight the bad guys. He's already won. This isn't a question of, is Superman going to win? As long as they don't got kryptonite, he's going to win. And you see in the movies, right, he just stands and they like pull out their guns and they're like, we're going to shoot you, Superman. And he's like, 
I remember the one where they showed the, vi- the, the, the bullet, you know, come and hit him in the eye and the bullet shatters and he just kind of blinks, you know. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's, the battle has already been won. All, all, all Superman has to do is show up. All he has to do is to go to battle. He knows the outcome. Well, the Bible says that the battle has been won. Death has been defeated. Sin has been destroyed. The devil is nothing, but the devil's going to keep fighting until the day we die. Even though the devil, just like those crazy bank robbers in the bank, don't realize that Superman's going to knock them down. Same thing's true with us. Same thing's true with us. The battle has already been won. The Bible says that you can be forgiven right now. That battle's been won. The Bible says that, that if you follow Jesus, you're going to have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit being God, the Holy Spirit is going to dwell within you, and it's going to produce fruit. That means that the battle for peace in your life has already been won. The battle for joy in your life, it's already been won. The battle for self-control over those addictions in your life, it has already been won. It is a product of the Holy Spirit that has been given to you because, you know, we sing that song, Death Was Defeated. Because death, recognize that when we sing that worship song that says death was defeated, it's true. The battle, the battle has already been won. The fruit of the Spirit is available to everybody here. You, you're lacking a little bit of peace this morning, it's available. Joy, it's available. And the, you, oh, sorry, I guess my church, they hear me speak about the fruit of the Spirit every week. It's a thing I do because it's a thing I think we've forgotten in this world today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And it continues to go on to say, but we need to be walking according to the Spirit. And so it says that, that, that I want you to think, you know, Superman, he can fly, he's super strong, he's got those laser eyes or whatever. Those are his things. But my thing is joy that's supernatural. What that means is that when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what that means is is that there is nobody on earth right now who could have the same joy that a born-again Christian living in according to the Holy Spirit can ever have. It's supernatural. It's God's joy. Nobody else can get that joy. They can get a glimpse of that joy. You see these people in Hollywood are chasing after, you know, money or drugs or all of it. They, they, they They get a glimpse of what joy might be, and they think they've got it in their hands. But you know what happens every time that joy fades real quick? Because it's not God's joy. It's the world's joy. I better check my clock here. There we go. Okay. Woo. Point number one. All right. So God has already won the battle. The battle has already been won. But here's the condition. If you're going to go to battle, he says, the battle has already been won. Samson knew that the battle had already been been won on, on, on a couple conditions. And the big one was that he not cut his hair. And I realized today that there are so many people right now, probably in this congregation right now who are struggling in marriages, who are struggling with addictions, who are struggling to experience even a glimpse of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And my challenge for you this morning is, have you cut your spiritual hair? Have you done what God has asked you not to do? And so I put this morning as the the parallel goes, how have we spiritually cut our hair that's making us lose in this battle? So number one, the the first way that we cut our hair is that we compromise. We have moved today from a society that pursues holiness that simply is fine with goodness 
It feels good. It is good. I'm not doing anything bad to anybody. I'm not hurting anybody else. And so I don't have to follow the guidelines for holiness. We see this everywhere. We see this in, let's pick some obvious ones, in dating relationships. I deal with this all the time at church where people say, well, no, but in my relationship... You know, I'm, we're going to go in that direction. Yes, but that's not holy. That's goodness, but it's not holiness. Like, I'm not cheating on my girlfriend or, yeah, but that's goodness. But holiness is that next step. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? And so we've, we live in this world where the even churches are pursuing goodness. We want to be relevant. We want to be relevant. We say, we, we, we've attached ourselves to the love that accepts everything instead of the love that corrects people so they can experience the joy of the Lord. And so we live in a world where churches, where individuals, where even in my own life I find myself having my joy, that supernatural joy at times turns into a worldly joy. And what I mean by that is it's still joy, but there ain't nothing supernatural about it. But I have had moments in my life and, and seasons in my life where that joy was so supernatural there was nothing that could knock me down. That, that, that you get a bullet shot at me, you know, like Superman, bullets, bullets of the devil could be shot at me and I just look at it and I go, bring it on, buddy. Do what you got to do because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I look at that and I say, man, how often do we compromise? We want to be good, but goodness is not enough. And I want, I want to look at that, that crazy, maybe even somebody would say, stupid rule. Don't cut your hair. Like, what, what kind of rule is it to not cut? Like, like, what does God care if I cut my hair, Samson? He's like, it's not that big a deal. It's not hurting anybody. I need a haircut. My flow's a little bit off. I could, I could use a bit of a trim, you know? Well, not me, but like, you know? And so I'd look better with a haircut. Like, there's a lot of good excuses for him to cut his hair. It's not really that big a deal. Is it really immoral for me to cut my hair? Is it really immoral for me to do this? I'm still loving people. I'm still being kind. I still want to fight for, I still want to fight for the Israelites. But what do we do? We compromise on the rules we don't like. We compromise on holiness simply because it makes us feel good and it avoids conflict. A conflict that has already been won. And that's the crazy thing of it. We have watered down the gospel, we have watered down sin, and we have watered down what God really expects from us. We no longer give 100%. We give ourselves a haircut. Therefore, since we have, have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. We do not do what God says because we like it. We do not do what God says because we understand it. We do what God says because we love God. God. Samson was told, don't cut your hair. The reason he doesn't cut his hair isn't because he thinks it's a great rule. It's because he should be loving God. I I heard a a preacher say one time, he said, if God said that Christians had to learn how to walk on their hands because they couldn't put their feet on the ground anymore, would I learn how to walk on my hands? That's the reality of following Jesus. We do what he says because we love him. Therefore, I'm going to, we're going to read Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. The entire passage is not up there, uh, so you're going to have to read the rest in your Bible. I just put part of it there. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Do not give the devil a foothold. Uh, I was a youth pastor for a couple of years, and one of the kids that I used to youth pastor has gone on to, to do uh, mountain climbing, of all things. He, he, he still, I mean, he's doing it to this day. This is like 10 years ago. So he's probably, how old is he? He's probably in his 30s by now, almost. And I see a picture of this guy. He is hanging from, hanging from cliffs, and he's doing this. And this guy can take a half-centimeter ledge, and he has figured out how he can hang his entire body weight on that thing just by, just by getting a little tip of his finger on there. And he learned this, this crimping move that they use. They can literally hang their whole body on, on, on a tiny little bit. And they can conquer a mountain. They can conquer a cliff with just half-centimeter at a time. And I think, Wow. Devil's been, a long, de- devil's been around for a long time. Devil's got some experience with footholds. And he's learned how to take that little tiny bit of a foothold. And he changes that. And he conquers in the future. For some of us, that foothold, it isn't looking at, it isn't looking at hardcore stuff online. It might be your Instagram. Simply looking at people that you know that just slightly suggestive. That's, that's, that's a foothold that you might need to get rid of. For some of you, it's the people that you hang out with might be a foothold that you're not quite strong enough to overcome. And if you give it to the devil, the devil's going to win. I play hockey. I play hockey with a bunch of fun but rough guys. I love hockey, for those of you who know me. But I have found myself in moments, even this past year, in moments in the dressing room realizing that I'm giving the devil a foothold in my life. That the jokes that get told in the dressing room Give the devil a foothold in my life. Not the jokes that I hear, but the response that I give. And I've had, to, I've had to, on many times, come home and go, wait a minute. I gave a bad example that might have an effect in my life, but will also have an effect in the testimony when I call other people to holiness with God. The way that I've treated people, when I've had to go and apologize to other people, and I realize that my pride has been a foothold. I've realized that my desire to be right has been a foothold. And I think that we need to give up all areas where we have compromised in our lives. Number two, fear. We cut our hair out of fear. Just like Samson was afraid that if he did not finally tell, 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 Delilah, tell Delilah what it was, that maybe, maybe he would lose out on, on something in their relationship. Right? He was afraid. He was afraid that maybe this wasn't going to work out if he wasn't finally going to tell her the truth. And we are afraid. We, we let fear rule our lives. And because we let fear rule our lives, we miss out on what God has for us. I've said this many places. I've maybe even said it here before. In my time as a full-time missionary, I have visited a lot of churches. And I have met dozens of people who have said, Man, I'm so glad to hear what you've done. I felt God calling me to do missions but my kids were still were in school at the time or we were trying to have a family or I just was worried about we didn't have the finances or, or, or. 
I was afraid that God would not protect me. I was afraid that God would not protect my children. I was afraid that God would not protect my finances. And I'm just using that as a small example. People lose out on the incredible. People lose out on walking on water because they find too many reasons not to get out of the boat. And that's a message I have preached here before. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And I'll say it again, is that when you, look at those, when you look at those disciples in that boat, if you remember the story, there's a storm, they're in the boat, Jesus comes walking along on the water. Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, let me experience the miracle. That's really what he said. He's basically saying, Jesus, he sees Jesus walking, he could have just waited, but he's like, whoa, I want to do that. Jesus, if it's you, let me do the miraculous, let me walk on water. He didn't wait and say, God, what's your... Do you have a, Jesus, do you have a plan for me to maybe walk on water? No. We're all sitting here going, God, what's your plan for me? Bible says what the plan is. It's to walk on water. It's to go out there. It's to reach the lost. It's to do miracles. And so God says, do it. And so Peter says, okay, God, if that's you, give me that. Let me do that. And Jesus says, bring it on. And so Peter walked on water. You know what? The whole, you know what I, everyone always picks on Peter because later on he denies Jesus. I'm like, no, 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 no. What about the 11 dudes who are sitting in that boat with the opportunity to walk on water and who just sit there and don't ask for the miraculous in their lives because of fear, even as Peter walks on water. We let fear destroy us. Fear is the killer of faith. And as you read through the Bible, it is faith that we have been called to live in. It is faith that allows us to do great things. Because faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. It is confidence when we step out of the boat that that water is going to hold us up. It is confidence when we go into missions that God is going to provide. It is confidence when we take a huge step of faith knowing that God is with us. It is confidence as we prayerfully consider how to talk to a family member about Jesus that God will give us wisdom. But if you do not go to battle... You will not win the war. Let's look at Superman again. Imagine if Superman was afraid to fight a bank robber. Superman has all the power to destroy the bank robber. Superman has, he's got that skin that, that the bullets can't go through. He's got everything he needs. But if he's cowering under the table when the bank robber comes, guess what? They're going to leave with all the money. And if you're cowering under the table when God tells you to do something, the devil's going to leave with all your joy. He's going to leave with all your peace. He's going to leave with all your hope for a better tomorrow. And you're going to live a life that's just making it through, showing up every Sunday going, man, I wish I could hear, have a miracle. And we have people come to our churches. We have, I think, at every, I'm sure you guys do here, missionary special speakers who talk of the miracles that have happened in their lives. And I can almost guarantee that every single miracle that you hear about comes from a step of faith comes from saying, I am done with the devil. I know that God has the victory. I know that I have God in me through the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to go to battle. Do not let fear take away what God has for you. Finally, this morning, number three, complacency. When we get comfortable with our worldly pursuits and passions, we fail to realize that God has a plan for each person. Are you living your plan or are you living God's plan? The Bible says that God has a plan for you. It says it all through the Bible. God knows what He has for you. Says, the Bible says that God knew you in your mother's womb, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
That's back in Psalms and Jeremiah when the Israelites were disobeying God. They were, they were disobeying God. Same thing happened. God removed His protection from them. And so the book of Jeremiah actually says, Jeremiah actually was promising that they'd be prisoners for 70 more years. The consequence of their disobedience had 70 years. For you guys who, who just love Jeremiah 29, 11, it's actually saying for 70 years you're going to be suffering, but don't worry. Don't worry because God still has a plan for you. No matter how much you've sinned, that's what, that's, that's what that story is really about. It's not giving you money and, and all that other stuff. That's saying, you guys have sinned. You guys have messed up. You guys are living outside of the victory that God has for you. But don't worry. Don't worry. You, if, you, if you continue to be faithful for 70 years, because that's the consequence. But, but, but if you continue to be faithful, recognize that God always has a plan for you. For a hope and a future. And you will seek Him and you will find Him when you seek Him with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. God wants all. And when we become complacent, and when we become Sunday morning Christians, and what I mean by that, many people say, I'm not a Sunday morning Christian. I come to church Sunday morning and I'm good all week long. Did you know that that's not what God's called you to do? God hasn't called you to come to church and be holy on Sunday and be good all week long. God has called you to be a passionate warrior for Him every single day. That means that God has called you to share your faith on a regular basis. God has called you to pray with people every single day. And so my challenge for you is this. Who have you prayed for and who have you prayed with this week? Because I believe that if you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, God is going to tell you each and every day who you can pray for. You have a job? Pray for somebody. Or, or simply, if you say, well, I don't want to do that, then don't. Here's what you can do. Ask people. You say, I don't want to impose. Okay, hey, how's it going? Man, it's going pretty good. You know, I pray for people every morning. Anything I can pray for you? Guy says, yeah, you know, I've had a tough... Okay, well, there you go. Well, well, do you mind if I pray for you right now? I've taken to doing that. And actually, you've got an incredible pastor in this church because one of the things that I know about Pastor Deland is that that guy prays. No matter where I go, no matter when I see him, He's always the first one to say, let's pray about that. In a room of pastors, Pastor Delan has set the example that says, why don't we pray about that? Do you know, what? there was a thing happening a while back where, 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 where some, some, people, some Christians in our community, they were just saying and doing things that, that, were, bothering, that were bothering somebody. And this, this girl came from this restaurant came and said, said, to, said to us, or said to a friend of mine, said, I can't believe Christians even show up here. Because all those guys who show up here are always talking dirty. They're always talking inappropriate. All these Christian men come. And you know what they said? They said, but Pastor Deland, so I'm going to brag on your pastor this morning. Pastor Deland, he shows up. When he shows up, none of those men speak dirty. When he shows up, nobody says anything bad. When, when he shows up, the waitresses get treated with respect. And when he shows up, he always prays. We have become complacent in our lives. Our idea of praying for a meal is, Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. But what if that's not what you're praying for? What if when you get together around the meal, you're not praying for the food? I don't, why are we praying for food? We get around the meal, we should be praying for the family that's sitting next to us. That's what you're praying for at a meal. It's reminding you that God is with you, that you have the benefit of eating, but you have the benefit of family. You have the benefit of being sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Our, our, our mealtime prayers should be pr like prayer warrior times. That should be like, how can I pray for you? You sit down with the guy before me and be like, should we say grace? Sure. How can I pray for you this more today? And pray for people. 
Your food will be fine. Your food will be fine. Pray for people. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Guys, we're all good. We're all okay. God doesn't want you to be okay. God's plan, God's call, is that you were to put on the full armor of God every single day. That you were to go into battle. And when you go into battle, when you are fighting, is when you're going to experience the joy. When you are fighting is when you're going to experience the peace because that's God's call for you. Most people don't ever experience supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. They don't experience that in their life at a supernatural level because they're waiting for it to come to them. And the Bible says that you will experience it in battle. That you will experience it in battle. So if you're not going to battle on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you're not going to get joy. I'm going I'm to wrap it up with two quick things here. I have been a coward. Let's just put it that way. I have been a coward in the past. I coach hockey. I coach hockey in Grantham, which is a pretty Christian community. Uh, yeah, we'd all say we're a Christian community. And so, so in Grantham, I coach hockey. And, and, and I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said the greatest coach they'd ever coached with, um, I'm not going to put that guy on the spot. I, well, maybe I will because it's good to praise other people, was Nathan Martins in town. If you guys know Nathan Martins, because they said, they never had such peace on their hockey team as when they were coaching with Nathan Martins because that guy prayed before every single practice and game. And I thought, wow, that's bold. And I couldn't do it. I don't know why. I couldn't do it. I was like, well, not everybody's Christian on my team. And, and, and. So finally this year I thought, you know what? I've seen other people have peace. Peace on their hockey team. And i got a bunch of kids on my hockey team who've got, who got some issues. They've got some emotional issues. They've got some, so, some issues that have been handed down to them that aren't their fault. They've got issues. And I've only done it about five times this year. And I need to do it more. But I'll tell you what, I sat my kids down and I said, guys, let's pray. And you know what? I experienced joy. My joy began to come back when I prayed with my hockey team. Because it was a battle I had to go into. A battle of faith over fear. A battle where I was going to courageously do what God called me to do regardless. We'll deal with the consequences when people complain about it. But until then, we've got to pray together. If you don't like it, that's fine. I even tell the kids, you don't have to, you guys, you don't have to pray, you don't have to be religious, but, but I believe that I can't, our attitudes suck today, and they're not going to get better just by you guys saying you're going to be happy. Jesus is going to have to fix us. Even the coach who's yelling at the ref, Jesus needs to fix us. Because I can't do that on my own. You saw those refs. I cannot do that on my own. I need something supernatural today, kids. But I actually, I actually told the kids, I said, I'm struggling, guys. Let's pray. And right there, then there, I'd been yelling, not, not so much at the ref, but I'd been yelling, I'd been frustrated. I said, guys, I can't do this. Let's pray. Do you know how much joy you feel when you publicly go to battle? When you're like, yeah, we're going to do this. When you coach a kid's team and you say, we're going to pray. You know what? They do it in professional football teams. Why don't we do it with our kids? If a bunch of guys who are living lives that, that really need Jesus, they can get around and they can commit to prayer publicly. You'll see them sometimes in the end zone after a game praying. Yet we struggle to do it with people in a community like Grunthal or Pansy or Steinbeck where everybody knows about Jesus. Let's stop being complacent. And finally, I got some good news. Samson had his eyes gouged out. Samson was stuck walking in circles. Samson lost all the power that God had given him. He lost his ability and maybe you're here this morning and you've lost it. Maybe you're new here this morning. You didn't even know you could have like miraculous joy in your life. 
Maybe you've lost it or you've never had it. The incredible thing is that from, from, the, moment, from the moment you've heard about Jesus to, right to the moment you die, God will always be there to forgive you. That the power you have lost can always be given back. You are God's chosen people. You look at the Israelites. God may have withdrawn some protection from them because they failed to follow Him, but they were always His people. He always loved them. He was always waiting to protect them. He was always waiting to kick the Philistines' butt. He was waiting. He's like, all you got to do is turn your, turn your eyes to Jesus. All you got to do is turn your eyes to God. And I want to tell you something this morning. If you're going through something, give it to Jesus. If you've got sin in your life, give it to Jesus. If you've been doing something wrong, give it to Jesus. If you've been living in sin, you might not have to fix it. And people might notice that you fixed it. And it might be embarrassing. It might be tough. It might be hard. But if you do it, God will be faithful. Samson gets led in front of all of the enemy. The, all the leaders of the Philistine are sitting there mocking him. And he puts his hands on the pillars in this great big building. And he says, God, give it back. I messed up. Give it back. He knew he was going to die. He knew this celebration was not going to end in them letting him free. He knew the outcome, but even at his last moment, he said, let, 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 it be on, let it be on our terms. So God gave him back his power. And with hands on those pillars, he pushed. And the old building came crumbling down. Victory was given even at death. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you've messed up. Because it's not up to me. It's God. And God has said time and time again, He doesn't care. The man on the cross, about to die, in desperation, calling to Jesus. I bet you that man, if he had not been on the cross, he would not have called out. But that man, simply because he was dying, decided to change his life around as he looked at Jesus, the innocent, on the cross. And he said, he said forgive me. And Jesus said, today, today you're going to experience paradise. Today, you're going to have a joy like you never knew. And so today, today I don't care where you are, begin the journey. And I'm not promising you that when you walk out those doors, you're going to have a joy you've never had before. You might have to go into battle. That's what the Bible says. You might have a battle you have to go into. Don't do it alone. Talk to somebody. They're going to help you. They're going to walk you through. Because I believe that sometimes it's hard to hear what God's saying. I know this is a church that, believe God, that believes that God speaks today. But sometimes in our anguish, in our sorrow, in our anxiety, in our depression, in our brokenness, we can't hear Him. So we leave the church saying, I'm going to fix this on my own. You're not. Speak to people who've had victory, who are currently able to, they're not going through what you're going through. They can see it from a different direction and say, hey, pray for me. That, what, what's the first step in this war? And I believe that as we come together as people, as a community of warriors, that God will give us victory. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And He will return to us the joy of our salvation. He will return to us the fruit of the Spirit. He will return to us the victory over pornography, over broken marriages, over, over other addictions and, and issues that you're going through. God can give you the victory, but it's going to be a battle. God, I love you. Jesus, I want to thank you for kicking the devil's butt. God, I want to thank you that when I go to war, I know that I'm going to win as long as I 
follow you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God, I need to confess where I have not honored you in those ways. God, I need to give those to you. And God, this might be a prayer of somebody here this morning. That we give you more of who we are. I love you, Jesus. Bring victory to everybody here as we live out that supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Amen.